0: Hello, I'm Caitlin, and I'm out for blood.
1: Oh, shit. Okay. And then I'm Zach, and... Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Oh! You know we used to be mad love. I think you know. that's all I'm gonna do. You know, that's all I can. I can't rendition Taylor Swift like Taylor Swift.
0: You won that one. Yes,
1: finally. I think that's the first one we've done that I've actually
0: won. I am. Yeah, mine is better. Did uh, you have to read the lyrics on your phone?
1: Yep. Absolutely <laughs> I was wondering I did. what you were doing. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I did. I don't know Taylor Swift that well.
0: And welcome to manipulating the masses. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You, the people, have the power. Before we jump into the actual story, I'm going to kick us off with a quote I found. This is from Jonathan Gottschall of the Harvard Business Review. He says, as a professor of literature, I hadn't known that a wide spectrum of professions were embracing storytelling as a unique, powerful form of messaging, that they had discovered that far from being a soft touchy feely skill storytelling was a powerful form of witchery a great storyteller waves her pen over paper like a wand she casts a spell also i love how he uses she in this Mm. Uh, a side note she casts a spell that allows her to enter minds and change what they feel which allows her to change what they think which allows her to influence how they act companies are flocking to story because they want a piece of this power.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that. What a great quote. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think you and I are both English majors, so we kind of know that and instinctively, not even that we do it like consciously, but um, that's how you approach every client we have is, what's your story?
0: I'm glad you, you uh, just launched right into that because I wanted to ask you, how do you think storytelling relates to marketing? Like right off the bat, let's just figure out how storytelling relates to marketing.
1: Advertising so saturated. Our eyeline is monetized everywhere. Uh, driving down the road, your eyeline is monetized by billboards. Scrolling through Instagram, your eyeline is monetized through posts um it, everywhere I'm looking at our computer screen and I see three ads right now so our <laughs> eye line is monetized where the advertising is so saturated everywhere that we no longer we're numb to it we no longer buy products or services we buy stories yes and that is the key you you buy into a story that's why you and I tell our story when we do pitch meetings with yep. new clients um, they buy us, they don't buy MP, they buy you and I and our story. So,
0: yeah, that's a great point. Um, th- what I thought about was when we're working on brands on the creative side of things, we're constantly probing and asking the correct questions to our clients on what their product means to them, because oftentimes the story already lives with the client and it's on us as marketing and branding experts to really explore extract that story from them. So everything we create comes from the minds of our clients and we just craft a narrative around it. And we do that with visuals and we do it with content. I love what you said though, is we sell sell ourselves. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We include our own personal story in every pitch that we do and it's worked for us.
1: And I think even that's like an elegant way. And and the, uh, the not less elegant way is even like, you see a lot of agencies and marketers starting like meme accounts to mm. uh, on social media, and even a meme is a story like that's why you laugh, right? Like it tells a story, all these What's the new one coming up? Squid Game memes that are yeah. coming out, right? Like yeah, they're, they relatable. they're relatable. They're exactly.
0: relatable. You want exactly. to relate to the thing that you're buying.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So we're gonna be covering today the power of storytelling and Elizabeth Holmes. And for those of you who don't recognize the name, Elizabeth Holmes is the founder of a startup called Theranos. Um, it has Theranos is kind of a blood diagnostic laboratory uh, a center that has now been disbanded by the FBI for fraud. And that's kind of where we're at currently. Uh, but I really want to explore this Elizabeth Holmes angle and tell her story a little bit.
1: I was just going to say, when I did a little research on this, I kept reading in my head Thanos instead of Theranos, which is that you, you're confused. Uh, my Marvel Avenger listeners will know exactly. Like Thanos was like the uh, inevitable, the dude that all the Avengers had to come together to beat you know who i'm talking about like
0: i don't (laughs) but i'm nodding my head because in one of the podcasts i listened to he Comes from a Greek background. And he said Theranos was a very strange name to him. And I'm going to butcher the hell out of this. But he said that the fundamentals of the word Theranos actually mean kind of like something very negative and derogatory. I'm not even going to try to tell you what it meant because I forget it. I wasn't going to mention it. Yeah. But you bring up a good point. That is actually someone with a Greek background that said, this is a weird name. It actually has a very negative connotation attached to oh. it
1: man.
0: So that this is a story of a nineteen year old, nineteen year old female chemical engineering dropout of Stanford University who flipped the medical world, dare I say, the entire world on its head. And, like already, we're rooting for this character, right? Like, all right, especially me being a female, like, I love to see women shattering glass ceilings. And mm-hmm. it's like, fuck yes. Everyone loves a story of a young person radicalizing an entire industry, let alone a female.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I was especially drawn to this story uh, for those reasons. Elizabeth Holmes first started to develop her work ethic in high school. In interviews, she looked back at those high school times and described books as her best friends. And she kind of did it with like a smirk on her face, which I just think is kind of like I'm so Yeah, kind of nerdy, <laughs> but also like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Like You really didn't have any friends. Holmes started her own business in high school where she sold C++ compilers, a type of software that translates computer code to Chinese you're nodding your head like you know what C++ compilers are
1: I know what C++ is yeah damn I, yeah. okay um,
0: you've already impressed me because I was gonna be like <laughs> don't ask me what that product is no clue
1: you didn't try C++ it's like I got it in the MySpace game where you could like code your own page and then it just sent me down you know me it sent me down a rabbit hole of coding back in the day and I was like oh yeah C++
0: <laughs> so that was her real first uh step into entrepreneurship with this background, she started studying Mandarin and she got into Stanford's summer Mandarin program as a high schooler and then later attended uh, Stanford as a freshman. At the end of her freshman year, Holmes worked in a laboratory at the Genome Institute of Singapore and she tested for severe acute respiratory syndrome. Does that sound like anything maybe pretty relevant right now? Severe. Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. COVID, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> she tested for the coronavirus, and this was in 2003. Wow. So I just like, I kind of giggle to myself because I'm like, all you fucking anti-vaxxers out there who are like, oh, they came out with the vaccine way too soon. It's like, bro, this disease has been out there since the dawn of time. Wow. and they've been testing it. Okay, we're not gonna get into wow. vaccine
1: conversations.
0: Uh, but Elizabeth Holmes worked on the coronavirus. Uh, this wow. was SARS-CoV-1 mm.
1: uh,
0: and it was in 2003.
1: Yep, I remember the SARS outbreak uh, back uh-huh. in the day. Back yep,
0: in the day. same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she received a research grant of $3,000 and filed her first patent when she was still in college. She brought her fir- the first version of the technology that we now know was Theranos proprietary technology. She brought the first variation of this to one of her college professors. Her name was Phyllis Gardner, who's really recognized for mentoring a lot of students into business ownership and entrepreneurship. Mm. She's very, she's cashed in and sold tons of businesses. Like she's very well known in the institution as being that mentor. So Holmes approached Phyllis Gardner and says, here's my invention will you take a look at it gardner was like good try but this is literally impossible like you are defying physics this isn't going to work yeah uh gardner was a female mm-hmm. uh so i'll say that
1: well phyllis i don't know phyllis. a lot of guy phyllises but it, you know bad on me for judging you know i don't know uh,
0: <laughs> uh Holmes came to her again and again and again, and she kept like bringing her different variations and And Phyllis Gardner was basically like, "Just stop. Like, this isn't going to work. I don't want any part of this. Like you don't have my blessings." So in two thousand and four, but Holmes didn't really take her word. She didn't believe her. And she ran with this. like, I think one piece of this that I'm going to kind of skip ahead and jump to is Holmes really saw herself as Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was her idol. Like. She recognizes that. She says that again and again. um, And then people compare her to Steve Jobs. So she sees these, you know, recognizable inventors of her time and says, if they can do it, then I can do it. And everybody laughed at him when he first came out with the MacBook. So, you know, I'm going to keep running with this idea.
1: Yeah. Do you find it endearing, uh, kind of the female to female connection that she would get so many no's and just keep pushing it on?
0: Yes. I do. I think that's another part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school team, and he ended up being Michael Jordan. Uh, So you always love that good come up in Cinderella story. So in 2004, this was just a year after her freshman year, she dropped out of Stanford and launched her company, what is now known as Theranos, uh, and she started the company with her tuition money. So you kind of asked me, but you know, I'll pause here. How do we feel about this story so far? You were an English major. What, in your opinion, makes for a good story, makes for a good narrative? Uh,
1: I think exactly what you're going for, it's conflict. Right. That's a good narrative. Is what is the conflict? What is the what is the uh problem, I guess is the right word, that this hero quote unquote is trying to overcome. Totally. Um, and that is is just getting pushed against you in the entire time. And the people saying this is Phyllis saying this is denying the laws of physics is yes. a great uh conflict to
0: her, right? Can you imagine if she was successful and she could be like, I denied the laws of physics, Leia? Like, take that, Phyllis. Uh, so, spoiler alert, she was not successful, but I think we are already know that. Um, I, I agree with you. Like, I owe everyone roots for an underdog, and Elizabeth Ther- uh, Holmes was the underdog. Everyone wants the Cinderella story, you know, David and Goliath defying odds. The English poet and philosopher Samuel Coleridge, uh, 1772 to 1834. Nice. Just throwing it back. Nice. Says the enjoyment of fiction requires the reader to have a willing suspension of disbelief, a conscious decision to say to ourselves, Well, I know this story about Beowulf battling Grendel is sheer bunk, but I'm gonna switch off my skepticism for a while so I can enjoy the ride.
1: Damn, pulling the Beowulf reference. Oh, deep cuts, deep cuts.
0: Yep, gotta throw Beowulf in here. I,
1: I agree. I agree. And that's why, be, I, I, let me ask you really quick, because you were an English major as well. Do you, can you still read fiction? It's a little tangent, but can you still like enjoy fiction books?
0: I only read fiction. Really? Yeah. I listen to nonfiction on audio because I can't read nonfiction. I listen to it. I only read fiction. Really? yeah I can't
1: do it anymore because you're
0: analyzing it too much you know what yeah
1: yeah that suspension of disbelief is gone for me like I just can't I'm breaking I'm like oh that's a nice choice by the author like I can't (laughs) suspend the disbelief right like you're so right oh my
0: god you're okay so my fiance when we're watching like crime shows or something he is intolerable to watch shows with because he's like the the practicality of that working is just insane like that will that would never work. That would <laughs> never take them two hours to solve that crime. And you're like, can you just fucking believe in it for two minutes? Like, let me enjoy the ride. Like, color You
1: can't enhance a photo twelve times to get yes.
0: <laughs> yes, you can never find the license plate from that pixelated image. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Yeah, I'm never watching TV with you. That's <laughs> what it
1: that's how I am with reality TV, though. I, I mean, not criticize. I just I got to get my shit talking out somewhere, you know? Well,
0: that's probably actually why you enjoy reality TV, because you can't ever be like, that would never happen. Mm-hmm. And instead, it is happening mm-hmm.
1: to a point. Bachelor is a little produced, but, you know, that's, that's a different podcast.
0: So. I think in I think Holmes, in all of her intelligence, recognizes that she has a good story and she leans into this. She really honed her personal and her corporate story. She harped on the college dropout angle, mm. and she also infused a story of um, her uncle. So her uncle had skin cancer, which turned into brain cancer, and he died too early. So she used this in her narrative. Oh. And and she said, That is the reason I'm here. That's the reason I've decided to go into the medical field. By the way, it's worthy to note that she is an engineering student. She is not a medical student, she is engineering. Yeah. So, you know, she, she uses this Uncle Sob story, she has her college dropout female story. I mean, fuck, I'm rooting for her. Like, yeah. I it's,
1: it's funny how college dropout is now like, I mean, I guess it, it's, I it's Palo Alto, it's Stanford yes. that it's, it's like a positive yes. thing you want to lean
0: on. Well, you know, who else was a college dropout? Bill Gates. <laughs> what? Okay. Gates, Steve Jobs yep, is too.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why you, that's why you lean into it. Right.
0: And I think there's something to like over idolizing your idols. Like, oh, God, I wasn't going to bring this up. But as a writer, like it is very dangerous to pick one of your favorite writers, because a lot of them are actually insane. And it gives you the freedom to kind of be a jackass and do insane things. Because well, Edgar Allan Poe was a straight up alcoholic, so why not? Why can't I drink for seven days a week? And you start to like uh, rationalize your actions.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Kerouac
0: did drugs all day mm-hmm. and all night, dropped acid. I should drop acid mm-hmm. and write for hours. Oh,
1: Ron Hubbard, you know? as we know, went joined a sex cult. So, you know, I should join a sex cult.
0: Googling know? sex cult. Obviously. <laughs> Yeah. So I think there's a dangerous uh, tone to uh, over idolizing some of your idols Um, just because they did it so few and far in between that actually make that work. Bill Gates is Bill Gates for a reason. There is only one Bill Gates. There's only one Steve Jobs. So Elizabeth Holmes really leans into her story and she starts to promote her company Theranos and it starts to gain traction.
1: Yeah. What do you mean by traction? I'm sorry. What do you mean like starting to gain
0: traction? She started to allure the interest of a lot of investors mm. and I'll get into that in a second. So mm. Theranos would be nothing without her investors. Mm. and. I want to especially harp on this because yeah, it's kind of true of all Silicon Valley startups, but this one's especially true. Um, And I'll go into that in a second. So, but I do want to kind of describe what is Theranos. Um, And there's a lot of science, a lot of technology behind it. So I'm going to try to dumb it down as best as I can, which is really good because I don't understand science at all. (laughs) So you're getting a very basic term of what Theranos is.
1: That is is my wheelhouse, baby. Uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) So at its core, Theranos claimed to have a machine, which they called the Edison. Once again, Elizabeth Holmes idolizing someone, Thomas Edison, who again and again and again messed up, but somehow he invented the electricity or the he light. He didn't bulb invent any of it. He just ran the okay. patent
1: office. That's a different story, but he didn't invent
0: <laughs> shit. So she, uh, you know, he has this famous quote, I've never failed. I've just figured out 10,000 ways to not do it correctly. Yeah, like a those
1: light lines. bulb or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she was like, This is the Edison. This is the machine. Uh, I know we have to fail and fail and fail and fail, but we will get there. Mm. So that was why she named it the Edison. Mm. Um, so at its core, Theranos claimed to have a machine called the Edison. Uh, the, and it was the size, Zach, of a household printer. Like, no bigger Jeez. than two feet tall, two feet wide, two feet in depth. Okay. Um, and it can run blood tests just from the sample of a finger prick of blood. Now, The majority of people who don't understand science, like myself, are like, why is this impressive? Well, let me tell you, existing technology right now requires one vial of blood. So, right, you you Uh, stick the needle uh in intravenously and you extract one vial of blood. Uh And that one vial gets sent off to a lab to get manually tested, and then you can only do one diagnostic blood test. So Theranos said, we can not only extract a little 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 tiny dot of blood from your finger Uh and run all the same tests that a vial of blood can we can extract 240 diagnostic tests from that one finger prick of blood instead of the one diagnostic test that that one vial of blood can do
1: so when you mean diagnostics like if they're testing you for some kind of disease or whatever they got to take a vial of blood they test it if they don't get it they're like they got to get another vial of blood to run the test again for something else right is that kind of like
0: okay now you're testing my knowledge of science and that's uh, what i was
1: worried about i don't know yeah i'm not sure yeah is that like roughly the process like
0: Okay, so as an example, let's say you want to get tested for HIV and for, uh, you know, <laughs> what else do you test blood for? B, you want to figure out how many B vitamins you have in your blood. You want to figure out if you have syphilis. You want to figure out if you have whatever. Okay, so you you are curious about four different things. You would need four vials of blood to test for each one of those things. Mm in the current technology that we live in
1: Mm -hmm.
0: with theranos she's like "Uh uh-uh i can test all four of those things plus 236 extra things Mm -hmm. whatever you want with this one fingerprint of blood
1: Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay.
0: So if they don't like get the test that they want from that one vial of blood, I don't know if that vial of blood is wasted and they have to throw it out and they have to go redraw blood. I don't know that. I would assume that they like save a little bit just in case there are some (laughs) discrepancies.
1: Or spillage. I don't know what they're doing in those labs. Sure.
0: (laughs) No. Um. So, that's really the difference um, of the existing technology and what Theranos claimed to be doing. The second part of her sales pitch was this idea of democratizing healthcare. She wanted every individual to be able to order their own blood tests. So, right now, if you think about it, Uh, only a doctor can order blood tests for you. And that means you have to make an appointment to go see a doctor. You say, I think I have HIV. Can you test for this? And they're like, yeah, we'll run, you know, we'll run blood tests this time. If you're like, hey, I think I contracted HIV. You could go into your local Walgreens, get a finger prick of blood and have the test back to you like that.
1: So dumb. So dumb
0: that. Oh, why do you say it's dumb?
1: Uh, the same reason that I get pissed off at people WebMDing or Googling their symptoms. These yes. doctors have spent years and years and yes. years studying this and learning this. You think you're going to learn more from a fucking Google search? So dumb.
0: And, and, you know, this one documentary I watched, they had a doctor on there and she was just kind of cracking up. She's like, Every, you know, this is so dangerous. You're creating mass hysteria because we are educated professionals who know how to read blood tests, and we are able to translate those back to you. If you put that in the hands of the individual, they're gonna go on Google and say, oh my God, my B vitamins are low. That means I have cancer. And she was like, you have no idea how many times someone said I have cancer based off of this blood test. Uh,
1: Yeah,
0: so so this is the idea of democratizing healthcare. This is, uh, these were the, the two pieces of Theranos that she really hung her hat on so you asked like how did theranos pick up traction how did theranos become a nine billion dollar company
1: wow i did not know that big big company
0: big her first milestone in my opinion you know i really thought about like how did she fucking sell this thing that did not work Uh, her first milestone in my opinion was getting her advisor from stanford who was also the dean at the School of Engineering at Stanford University. And Stanford, for any East Coast listeners out there, is basically the Ivy League of the West Coast. Mm.
1: If you don't know Stanford, maybe you should go read a few books, East Coasters, okay? You
0: know my my knowledge of the East Coast is limited. It's like a foreign <laughs> country over there. I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't know what you guys talk about past California. No, fair enough. <laughs> I'm scared of fair you guys. Enough, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Um so the she got her advisor Channing Robertson the dean of school of engineering at Stanford to back her idea. He not only backed it, he quit his job to work Whoa. for her when she was 19 years Whoa. old. Now, as a reminder, going back to Phyllis Gardner who was still who was working at Stanford and she was like no this idea is lunacy. Channing Robertson who I'm going to mention is a white male, older, maybe 50, 60 years Mm. old, and this will come into play in a second. He quit his job and and worked for her. So I credit that to really her first milestone for her to start picking up steam and getting the confidence to start selling this, really. like, And not selling it to consumers, but selling the idea. So from there, Zach, she gets some of the most notable investors to cut her a check. Plus, she's able to recruit some of the most powerful men, and you're going to lose your shit, the most powerful men in the United States to be on her board of directors. So for everything that Elizabeth Holmes is, the girl is fucking smart. Like, she is wildly intelligent, in my opinion. Nerd. Um, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> nerd. Her books are her best friend. Um. Okay, Her first major investor was Tim Draper. He's a big investor in cryptocurrency, but he's most notable for, he he was one of the first investors in Tesla, in Uber, and in Skype. Okay. I also want to note that Tim Draper was the father of one of Elizabeth Holmes' childhood friends. So pause there, Uh, yes. Now we find out that she is connected. mm -hmm. She has connections. mm Her father and I saved this. Holmes's father was the vice president was a vice president at Enron.
1: Oh fuck me. Are you serious? Are you fucking serious? And these people are investing in her?
0: Not the, it did make a point to say a vice president, right? Like there you have plenty of SVPs across the board. Yeah, right. But the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, fuck me, man. So now we realize, okay, she's gotten Tim Draper to invest in her. Tim Draper is a childhood fucking friend or, you know, the father of a childhood friend. And by the way, who is her father? It's a fucking a vice president at ron. Okay. So now we figure out she's well connected and the she corruption kind of runs in her blood. Yeah.
1: yeah. Some other
0: investors that she got to buy in because once you have Tim Draper, it's like this guy just was notorious for investing in Tesla and Uber and you'd like to think of his investments as like you hit spreadsheets, you're crunching numbers, you're really making this a th- thought thought-out process, but investments are a gut feeling. You either believe in this person, you believe in the character, or you don't. And you know, like investors look to, you know, Warren Buffett. Like, what's Warren Buffett investing in? I have to invest in that. So all of a sudden, a lot of people start following suit. Rupert Murdoch, he owns Fox News. Yeah,
1: he fucking does. <laughs> Jesus. This is like the, the villain goddammit <laughs> board of directors. This is like the the okay. oh, oh, anti-justice oh, 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 oh. league. Jeez. Just wait.
0: Hold up. Hold up. The Walton okay. family, who owns Walton, who or Walmart, I'm sorry. Collectively, their fortune literally makes them the richest family in the United States. Yeah. Um and and I can't wait to tell you this. The DeVos family. Oh shit. Shit, dude, are you serious? Oh, like,
1: I'm mad. Oh, I'm why mad. is the
0: DeVos family just like at the center of everything bad in America? Because
1: they're the antichrist. They are. Oh my God!
0: Wow. It- Uh, the cox family of cox enterprises which you know whatever Uh, i just i couldn't wait to tell you that the device is invested early um it does bring me great joy to say that each one of these investors lost tens to hundreds of millions of dollars when theranos folded yes yes (laughs) so meanwhile okay so she's got all these investors so she's like she's make you know the company is now worth millions if not billions yeah. at this point all of these, i'm um, sorry
1: i'm sorry i'm just thinking about the board of directors i didn't mean to cut you no off. no, no. We're, not all... oh, really? we're not even at the
0: board of directors Oh, we're not even at the board of directors those were
1: those, those were, investors.
0: were investors they're all
1: conservatives okay. are they not I,
0: yes i thought the same thing um yeah the one part was Cox enterprises, which I wasn't sure. Uh, but yes, you hold on just a second, okay. because now we're going to touch on, uh, the, uh, board of directors. <laughs> I'm
1: getting fired up, Caitlin. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: I thought the same thing. I thought the exact same thing. So I even made a point to identify them as Republicans oh, or Democrats. Yeah. So her board of directors, Henry Kissinger, a former secretary of state. Fucking Kissinger. Was- william perry a secretary of defense james mattis a future secretary of defense gary roguehead a retired u.s navy admiral admiral bill frist a former u.s senator republican tennessee sam nunn a former u.s senator democrat georgia and former ceos dick uh kovacevich of wells fargo which we all know again just another example of Enron, Apple doesn't far fall from the tree, yeah. like Wells Fargo did their own shit, yeah. and then Riley Bechtel of Bechtel. I don't know um, so me neither. um, so I looked at this and I was looking at images of all of these men, and I'm like, these men, all white, all very fucking old, they are like eighty plus years old. And I'm looking at all these, you know, uh, their resumes. I'm like, are we going to war? Yeah. Or are we starting a company?
1: That was literally my question. Why why are there... Why is the military so interested in this? Why is Mad Dog Mattis and fucking Kissinger, architect of the fucking Vietnam War, interested in this? Is there military benefits to this idea? Is there like military applications to this?
0: So... Elizabeth Theranos sold people on the PR front that this technology was being used as a militarized, not weapon, but a mili- let's just call it a militarized weapon for the sake of, mm-hmm. I don't know the other word for it's it, but a tool. militarized yeah, weapon, Yeah, tool, tool, mm-hmm. yes. She said that the military was actively using this technology when that was a bold base lie, total lie. And here's where it played into her benefit. Silicon Valley played to her benefit was Silicon Valley is this air of secrecy and Silicon Valley is like where all startups happen and you're like, I can't release my technology because I'm scared to death that someone's going to steal my technology and then I'm fucking out. Mm -hmm. So she sold all of these people on this pipe dream. And she also said, Hey, I can't I can't show you our product. And they still signed up with her. So in 2011, She had a stacked board and had a stacked board of directors Uh is what I mean, and had raised over $92 million worth of venture capital. By 2014, Forbes recognized Holmes as the world's youngest self-made female billionaire and ranked her number 10, I'm sorry, number 110, On the forbes 400 in 2014 she was valued at nine billion and had raised more than 400 million in venture capital wow i just don't think it's a coincidence um and you've seen elizabeth theranos like i wouldn't say that she's bad looking she's not like the most gorgeous person in the world but she puts herself together Mm -hmm. she knows how to present herself Mm -hmm. um i did watch a lot of interviews with her she is admittingly charismatic um she's kind of strange but I, like, she's very enduring. Yeah. Everything she says, she says with kind of a smile, like, hey, I got this. Like, you have concerns? I, got, I I have it under control. Don't worry about it. And she says it with a little bit of a smile. Meanwhile, like, her eyes are just, like, these big, wide open eyes that like do not blink and she has like these red pouty lips and like you know everything about her she knows she knew how to accentuate
1: yeah her demographics uh old white males as we can tell like that sounds like 100%. the demo, that's the demo she can win those old yep. fucking republicans over jesus
0: and, and her 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 looks are very like, cl- what you would describe as like classic yeah. beauty, like pouty red lips. And, and her eyes are like piercing fucking yeah. blue, piercing blue. She has the blonde hair. And so she could walk into a room and talk to you and she smiles at you and you're like, she's so, she is so convinced of herself and her product. And I think that goes hand in hand with a little bit of entitlement, uh, and a little bit of her connections growing up. It's like, I I think growing up in this atmosphere of like, you know, her dad is VP at Enron. Um, and then you know she goes to stanford like people are telling her like you're gonna be the star in this yeah. world like you're the hero in your own story like really the detriment of you the know g-
1: giving is- her the benefit of the doubt though uh you know when you're starting a company to be self-assured or to at least portray self-assured you know um this or at least stretching your capabilities especially at the beginning. I, you know, I think everybody does that when you're starting a business, right? Like
0: a hundred percent. Yes. You, you hit the nail on the head. One of the interviewees, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but he said something to the effect of, we don't want to take the confidence out of everyone because if we took that away, then there would never be any restaurants that Mm -hmm. opened up. We would never have any startups. We would never have MacBooks." And so there needs, people need to be overconfident. So we don't want to take that away from Elizabeth Holmes. Up until this point in the story, she truly believed that she could change the world on a finger prick of blood. Elizabeth Holmes really owned her story. She really owned her look from the moment that she dropped out of Stanford at 19, you found her in boardrooms and on sound stages she was talking to reporters and investors she recognized the need for a face of a company which is what the ceo's role is to do you are there to be the face of the company and she understood the assignment i love how i could have just i just used that in- <laughs> i'm so proud of myself um she understood the assignment of CEO. she created a compelling narrative around her story and her company's beginning where it's at and what does the future look like so the beginning like a good story like a good story she knew the plot the 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 beginning the climax and the end and she repeated it like a mantra Um, Also her image. Oh my God, her image. She wore a black turtleneck. I sent you that side by side comparison of her and Steve Jobs. That was not a joke. That was her. Uh, She sourced (laughs) the exact designer of that turtleneck that Steve Jobs wore and she bought hundreds of them. Every time you saw Elizabeth Holmes she was wearing a black turtleneck and she even said in interviews like I spent all my time all my energy on Theranos I don't have time to figure out how I look or what I want to wear that day so she wore a black turtleneck every single day of her life and no I'm sorry not of her life of Theranos's life oh man yes she sourced the designer of Steve Jobs's turtleneck and wore
1: wow, it. that's like method acting, right? That's like you're like not even <laughs> totally. method acting at that point. Jeez. That's so true.
0: That's such a great point. She also, I love this. She changed the pitch of her voice. As a woman, research has shown that with lower pitched voices, you're viewed as stronger, more competent more trustworthy. And the act of lowering her voice has actually been identified now, like taking a bird's eye view. Now it's been identified as a sociopathic. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I'm gonna play a clip.
1: I agree with the lowered voice. I think all our listeners would agree I'm more authoritative and um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding.
0: But I am very proud. I don't think I have a high-pitched no, voice all, as a female. So I really had to think about the, oh, my own And trust
1: pitch. me, I edit these podcasts, so I know you're the pitch of your voice th- so well.
0: So this is actually a YouTube video that I scoured the internet for of her breaking pitch which people have said like she's done once or twice like at a holiday company function uh and on this podcast so it'll show you what her voice sounds like and then it'll show you it'll uh, show you her breaking pitch so
1: happens when you work to change things and first they think you're crazy then they fight you and then all of a sudden you change the world and um I, I have to say, I, I I personally was shocked to see that the journal would publish something
0: like this. Her voice, her deep baritone voice, was that fake too? According to uh, my sources, uh, it was uh, an employee
1: who joined the company in 2011, uh, had a meeting with her shortly after he joined and um, it was late in the day and, and uh, they were finishing up the meeting. and. Uh, She sort of um, expressed her excitement that he had recently joined, and as she got up,
0: she forgot to put on the baritone and slipped back into a more natural-sounding young woman's voice. Was everything about Elizabeth Holmes a fraud? A lot of it was a lie. No, it hasn't. Well, if I use traditional words to describe what we're doing, it's hard because people... Did you hear it? I'll play it. I'll play it again. No, oh, it hasn't.
1: Well, if I use No, it hasn't. Well, if I use traditional words to describe what we're doing, it's hard because people then associate Oh, so she was that. No, it hasn't. Like, if I use traditional words. Oh, nah. my God.
0: I'll play it again. I'll play it one more time. No, it hasn't. Well, if I use
1: traditional words to describe wow. what
0: we're doing. So to me, I like. I had to play it that many times to be like, did she break character? Did she break her voice? Oh
1: my, that's her. That's two of the same people, right? When
0: she did break it, it wasn't that high pitched. It was a fine voice.
1: (laughs) So it really is method acting, isn't it? Like you're getting the Steve Jobs turtleneck. You are changing your voice. You are
0: Uh encompassing
1: this person that you really is not really you. It's so
0: interesting too, because on interviews that I watched, she would even sit like a man, like she would sit like this. Like if someone was watching a sports game, she would have her like leg crossed, like just everything, like she went to the extreme of trying to distance herself from female traits.
1: She would just mad spread, man spread like a motherfucker. She She did.
0: She man spreaded. Totally. Um, On that video that we just watched, there was a comment that was like, she sounds like a 13 year old boy on the phone with his school pretending to be his dad. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. That's a good one. So I just truly believe that like she... Yeah, she, she molded herself into this character to sell her story. And at that point in the story, like she really did believe in what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It can So can you think of something? I'm going to ask you a question now. Can you think of an example in your professional career where you had to craft a narrative that you knew not to be true? So, I mean, you're a salesperson. Like, was there any product or any company or service that you had to sell that you truly did not believe in or, but you knew you had to sell and you had to craft a narrative around it?
1: Yeah. Uh, we, I had during my freelance days, uh, a client, um, I won't say the brand, but it was a, uh, detox tea, one of those, um, detox tea brands um and i thoroughly did not believe in the product or what they were selling or the even the idea of a detox tea uh and i had to sell it i had to market it and it was uh marketed towards young women that's a tough one too because it's Um, it's
0: morally reprehensible like you know you're creating eating disorders by mm -hmm. selling a tea, a detox team Or tea.
1: at the very least enabling them. And then the other more lighthearted one uh, is when we first started and we would go into pitch meetings and we would be like, yeah, the SEO team and the analyst team and that team was me. We would say teams. <laughs> and that was me i was the team there so uh that was what i crafted a narrative around uh that being like <laughs> yeah, we'll have our seo team look into that and that was my cue to be like me, me.
0: yeah Zach's like, come on team all on yeah. board all me and my let's five go. personalities,
1: yeah, let's go, let's go. <laughs>
0: I would say for me, it actually was the cannabis industry. Like mm. as state directors, we had to sell the whole entire industry. And we were often pitching people being like, oh, it's this new industry, Like, a lot of money, a lot of great people are coming in and we're really moving away from the stoner stereotype. The reality was, it is still very much a stoner industry. Mm -hmm. They did not have their shit together, Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to sell that. And I just did not believe in what we were selling at all. But I I tried. I tried so hard to get on board with cannabis, and I'm not against cannabis at all. Usage. I just don't. (laughs) I just don't think it's you know this this story that they're spinning. The industry is like, you know. Doing it's it.
1: not a mature industry and they want it to be no. um and i totally agree i think i think we talked about it in our cannabis legalization episode Uh, that it is a weird mix of opportunists and mostly black market people that were successful in the black market that don't know how to be professional because they've never had to be professional. Um, Yeah, I agree. That's a great one. That's a great one. What they're selling and the image on the outside is completely different. Like, can you talk to me about like, when you told people you worked in cannabis, like some of the reactions you would get, like, do you remember some of Oh my
0: God. (laughs) I remember this pivotal moment. I met my mom's uh, cousin for the first time in San Francisco, and we all had dinner at this like beautiful restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. Like top dollar restaurant. And we were all walking out and she was like, Caitlin, what do you do? And my brother, my shithead brother started to crack up and was like, kind of waiting in the wings. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear her answer for this. And I was like, I, I work at a magazine. I was like, I did not tell them that i worked. i said i worked in an editorial publication like that was my job and if they probed i'd be like yeah we talk talking about cannabis mm-hmm.
1: but you left that out huh
0: <laughs> i did i did i left it out until they like asked a little bit more but i always yeah so i got negative or just like eyes i got eyes yeah yeah when asked I, what about uh, you uh,
1: Everybody pretty much said that's on brand. They, everybody told <laughs> me they're like, "Yeah, that's." But I would actually take it a step further and say, uh, you know, I used to deal a little weed in college, and then uh, yeah, just a little bit. I've always been entrepreneurial.
0: No, no, no. Just the fact that you said that, you're like, <laughs> I, I, not only work at a cannabis, but I also dealt no, weed, so it's I cool. Mean,
1: I, yeah, I mean, I would, I would like allude to it depending on the situation. But then I'd say like, I've, I've, I'm a lot more professional now. I'm a white collar drug dealer rather than, a. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But you were talking to people in the industry, I assume. No, or no. 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 I was okay. very
1: open about it. I mean, I was very, it's I, you guys can't see me in the podcast. I look like a stoner. Like anywhere I travel, I'm offered drugs. I just have like that look about, I, I'm not bragging. It's just a fact. Like I am offered drugs everywhere I go.
0: I don't think that would be something to brag about anyways. (laughs) Depends
1: on what drugs. Um, But they, they, like, I just have that look, you know? So like, I felt comfortable talking. You do not, like, you're so put together. You're so professional, Mm -hmm. you're poised. Mm -hmm. Um, I curse, I'm, you know. Yeah, I, I just have the vibe, you know. It was on brand. That's
0: why you gotta find a business partner to balance your <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we need the little bit of rough edges to balance out the like ultra poised other half. <laughs> yep. Which I yeah. agree. Uh-huh. I need you
1: and you uh, need me uh-huh. to. We speak to very different clients, and that's why our pitch meetings totally. so well, right? Uh yeah. I people the wrong way a lot of times, but whatever. <laughs> Who cares?
0: <laughs> yeah, in 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 pitch meetings, we can easily identify who the client is more drawn to and like we pick up those cues so easily. So it's kind of like, okay, I'll let Zach take it from here. Like I'm just kind of going to back off a little bit. We had a pitch
1: meeting yesterday and I backed off. That dude was not feeling me and very much feeling your style. And I was like, Caitlin's going to run with this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But it's about perception and storytelling. It's interesting how you told a very different, we were doing the same job and you told a very different story. Than I told the people, and that's fascinating, right?
0: Yes. Oh, that's so true. I would love to like go deeper into that, but for the sake of time, I'm going to keep talking about Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Holmes. Actually, this part. Actually, this is a great segue in the in the HBO series that I watched. There's a a docu series or. documentary out they described the company as the as the carpet side and the tile side which is kind of like exactly what we were talking about a little bit like i'm maybe the carpet side you're the (laughs) tile side the carpet side was the pr front it was elizabeth holmes she was selling her story she had her board of directors fucking going to war for her (laughs) she had like literally like their side job was war <laughs> um and then she had her investors you know like she was the carpet and then the tile was the laboratory that was fu- the roof was falling down on Are you it saying like that the to me? roof was I'm
1: just
0: kidding. kidding. I know. I did kind of allude to that, and I guess I take it back. (laughs) I guess I take it back. I own it. No,
1: I own it. Uh, (laughs) The roof is always falling. I just like dodge it. I just keep running.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you like kind of glue it together every once in a while, and then you let it fall a little bit, and then you like patch it up with some gorilla glue. Yeah,
1: fair. Uh, I think the analogy holds. The analogy
0: holds. (laughs) And I'm like, everything's fine, client. We're doing great. Our SEO team has got it under control.
1: Freak it
0: out. Yeah. So, you know, they described it as these two polarizing opposite sides of the spectrum of the business. Um, The real big problem with Theranos was number one, management. It was toxic. It was the girl boss culture that we talked about. Uh, It was basically like if you disagreed with upper management and leadership, you were gone. Like you were asked to resign, you were told to quit. And then the second piece of it, like the technology never, ever worked. It was nearly impossible. And we say nearly because I think people say like, we can't say it's impossible because there could be a fix for this. Literally, it never worked, ever. Mm. So one of uh, the big problems that was never solved for Theranos was the equipment. So the Edison machine that was the size of the printer, the equipment that they were pitching needed a specific volume of blood to run these tests. But Theranos, or I'm sorry, but Elizabeth Holmes' big pitch is We only need this, like every single marketing campaign that she ever did was her holding this tiny, tiny vial of blood. So she sold that before the machine, the machine literally could not handle that amount of blood. Like it needed more blood. Yeah. And, and the engineers would come to her and say, can we get more blood? (laughs) Like yeah and she that she's like no make it work make it work you know fitting a square peg into a round mm-hmm. hole basically mm-hmm. um so well, oh my god this is what happened so basically she had this small prick of blood but the machine itself needed more blood so they would dilute this finger prick of blood to fill up the vial that was needed in order to get these diagnostic tests
1: oh.
0: whatever it was that they used to dilute it. i want to say water but it can't be like I don't know if that's true or not, but they would dilute it. Mm,
1: Corn syrup, like they use in movies.
0: (laughs) Corn syrup. Yeah. So, you know, this was creating massive problems with the actual tests themselves. One of the worst things to happen to Theranos was in 2013, they signed a partnership with Walgreens to launch in-store blood sample collection centers. So this was her first step in her quest to democratize healthcare. So people could come into Walgreens, sit in a chair, get their finger pricked, select from a menu a menu so you're reading this menu and there's line items and there's like syphilis hiv
1: appetizer hors d'oeuvre entree
0: (laughs) uh and then it had a price i'm not even kidding it had a price next to it it'd be hiv test ten dollars syphilis test nine dollars do you want to know how much b vitamins you have eight dollars um so everything was a menu item 240 menu items yeah
1: you know what? I would I would have walked away right there. It's just like a restaurant. You know, if, if they have a three page menu, they're not doing anything well. You know, it's
0: like the Cheesecake Factory. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm fucking overwhelmed. I don't know what to
1: choose. Yep. Yep. They have different sections. So many, They, you know, they do nothing well. You need a you need a restaurant with two pages max. You know that yeah. they know what they're doing.
0: And Cap, and my fiance, was like, uh, but what if I wanted all 240 of those tests? That would literally cost me $24,000. So he's running the numbers in his, head, in his head because he's a realist. He's like, that cost me $24,000. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not cheaper. He's it's not done. more efficient. Like, this is bullshit.
1: <laughs> this is the crime shows 2.0. He's just like, that's not realistic. You know? yes. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. So, yeah, so people sit down, they pick from this menu item, uh, and then they get their blood uh, sent to the Theranos lab, and it comes back almost immediately. Um, the problem was the Edison, which is this machine, produced inaccurate results in real-life trials. So these were the real-life trials. Um, in 2015, when the technology the technology was estimated to have been used on over 176,000 people. By the way, this program rolled out in air. Arizona so that was the only state that rolled this out
1: shout out Arizona questionable
0: um they would so the testing not only is providing inaccurate results it's straight up misdiagnosing people uh misdiagnosing them with illnesses that they did not actually have or not diagnosing them at all, which would prompt the patients to completely change their lifestyles or would possibly not even be aware that they needed a lifestyle change in the first place. So the people behind the scenes, right? Like the tile, the tile of this program, the tile, the lab, the chemical engineers were like, Coming to Elizabeth and is like, I am, this is morally reprehensible what we're doing. I cannot, in good faith, send out these test results to these patients because I know they're wrong. Yeah. I am positive they're wrong. So they stopped, okay, I, I'm going to try to, they stopped Walgreens. Because they were getting so many inaccurate results, Theranos came in and was like, okay, we're not gonna do the finger prick anymore. We're gonna do it intravenously, which totally fucking defeats the entire purpose of yeah. Theranos' pitch in the first place. So they started drawing blood intravenously, sending it to Theranos or sending it to Theranos, and then they started using commercially available machines by <sighs> other manufacturers for most of the testing moving forward. So there was nothing proprietary, nothing different that this lab was doing that lab wasn't doing and i use lab because that's like the one lab yeah. that i am familiar with so they're using other people's machines they're drawing blood just like anybody what? else does yeah it's what yeah so all of a sudden ceiling actually does start falling and john carry you i don't want to mess that up because he's pretty well-known. He's a twice Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist of the Wall Street Journal. He started getting tip-offs from people, from people inside Theranos, and he they started getting tip-offs that the technology was not working, the management was insanely toxic, and so he started kind of conducting a secret month-long investigation of Theranos. He was also, you know, while he was investigating theranos he was also kind of like fueled by the idea that elizabeth holmes had created this invent invented this groundbreaking technology after two (laughs) semesters of chemical engineering classes at stanford so this goes back to the story right like you want to believe that those people are out there but john carrie from the wall street journal being a realist he's like you can't this is literally impossible like where did she get mm-hmm. her knowledge from where did she get her learnings like someone mm-hmm. had to teach her this mm-hmm. shit and so he's like you know the realist of all this while all of us the investors the fucking military <laughs> were all dreamers and believed in never had story. i
1: have i heard the military be called dreamers before but you know what <laughs> it works, <laughs> it works <right>
0: So the other piece of John Kerry Rue's story was really fueled by two whistleblowers of Theranos. So these two people, one Tyler Schultz, which again was the grandson of Schultz, who was one of the initial, was one of the board directors. Do you
1: know how he found out uh, how the grandson of a board director found out all these details? Do you know that?
0: Tyler Schultz was so enamored by her. He was like, can I just be an intern at this place? Mm. And Yeah. So he was interning and then he became a chemical engineer, I believe, or or, or some sort of product engineer. And he was the first to be like, this is not working. We need to revisit this entire strategy. And Holmes was like, get on board or leave. So that is actually why a lot of people ended up resigning because Holmes was like, you don't have the Silicon Valley mentality like I do. Like, you know, everyone has to be a dreamer in Silicon Valley and like nothing is impossible. And so people are saying this is impossible. I'm fucking out. So the people who left, she hunted down with her notorious legal team, uh, David Boyas. So he represented Harvey Weinstein. So yeah, a a big wig, like the most notorious lawyer, heavy hitter lawyer in the nation uh, is on her legal team. So she sends Boyas after all of these people who have uh, quit Theranos and He's serving legal papers like, do not talk about Theranos. Like, you've signed a confidentiality agreement, an NDA. Do not or we will come after you and sue you on these grounds. Tyler Schultz and then Erica Chung was the other whistleblower. And Erica got served with these papers and she was 22 years old. And she was like, I'm a broke kid i'm a kid i don't have fees to pay this law like any legal fees and so she was scared to death like literally scared to death and she actually ends up talking to an attorney and the attorney says one way to protect yourself is to become an official whistleblower and that is how theranos started becoming investigated so credit to these two babies like erica and Tyler, the
1: youth shall shall save us. The youth shall save us.
0: The youth shall save us. Yeah. So, uh, big credit to them. They actually became the two official whistleblowers of this whole operation. Tyler Schultz went to uh, John Carrier of the Wall Street Journal and told him all of this stuff. He gave him emails. He was a big piece of Theranos wow. ceiling coming down. So. That's kind of the story. Um, Where are we now? In January 2016, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, so CMS, sent a warning letter to Theranos after an inspection of its California laboratory uncovered irregularities with staff proficiencies, procedures and equipment. So this, this story leaked of the Wall Street Journal saying you know nothing is working behind the scenes. This is insanity. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes immediately came to the defense and was like, she had this quote on one of the sh- on Mad Money that said, "Well, at first they at first they don't believe you, and then they think you're crazy, and then they want to join you." And I was like, "Didn't that come from someone way more?" Oh, uh, some cult I leader
1: know. somewhere. I'm sure it sounds like a fucking cult to me. <laughs>
0: sounds like a cult. Uh, So anyways, she went on the defense. And then in 2016, when the CMS initially started investigating her, she went on the Today Show and she was like, I am so devastated that we did not catch and fix these issues faster, which is so manipulative. She is flat out saying, I had no knowledge of what was going on and how we we did not use any commercially available equipment to test she flat out said we did not do this and there is physical proof that this happened did you
1: watch the interview on today did you watch that
0: yeah i watched the clip of it It
1: was matt lauer interviewing her
0: No, it Uh, wasn't Matt, it was. I was going to be like, that's quite
1: the fucking combo there, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was was a woman. Um,
1: Prime television, Matt Lauer uh, interviewing Elizabeth Holmes. Great, tune in for that. In March
0: 2018, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charged Holmes and Theranos' former president, uh, Balwani, Rummish Balwani, mm. with fraud by taking more than $700 million from investors while advertising a completely fake product. So today, Holmes faces nine counts of mail fraud, two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and each count carries a maximum of 20 years in prison. It could, so, that's where we're at right now and like the big piece of this and like the most corrupt piece of this is like it's one thing if you're peddling a product like a macbook or something that you use as a consumer but it's not affecting your fucking health mm-hmm. that's the biggest like thing in all of this is like you were fucking with people's livelihood. yeah
1: that was my initial thought when you told me uh they were giving incorrect results uh that's like Easy litigation, is it not? Like, if you're giving someone false results, I guess if you know that they're false, which they did, right? Like, if you knowingly give someone false medical results, that's got to be some kind of law, right?
0: I agree. I don't know which law it is. (laughs) As much as I know about science, I know about the law. (laughs) <laughs> uh, too, I so I, it was pretty devastating. Like this piece on HBO, we're highlighting these journalists, like award-winning, notorious journalists that put her on the cover of Forbes, put her on the cover of Fortune, uh, Fortune you know, uh, Business Insider. Mm-hmm. And this one guy, uh, Ken Ayeletta and Roger Parloff, he was like almost on the verge of tears because i think he was so disappointed in himself that he sold this narrative that he himself as an investigative journalist was so bamboozled by this woman that he put her on the cover of forbes Mm. and wrote this piece about her and he was just kind of like you know his head was in his hand and he was just like how did it how how did i believe in that and I think it all circles back to like that is, ladies and gentlemen, the power of storytelling. Hey, guys, thanks for sticking it out with us. We'd love to hear your feedback, both good and bad. Again, we can take the bad reviews. We want to hear them. Leave us a review and let us know what you thought.